0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 141 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we welcome the timid rider. You're going to love this blogger who wrote the book called Girl Forward. And then we get to go round the world in one conversation with the advanced course students at the International Learning Center. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer Jen with me today. Jen, do you have vacation brain yet? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're honest.
2: <laughs> I do. We, As we record this uh, episode segue, we are preparing to go on Glenn and I's bucket list vacation to the UK. For the both of us, it will be our first time off the North American continent. Yeah.
1: Is that right? I, yeah, I haven't asked you anything about this. So yeah. I know you're going
2: to England, correct? That's right. We're going to fly over and we're going on vacation with some friends. We're going to go and uh, do London. Yeah. And then we're going to skip across and take the train north and do Edinburgh. Oh,
1: good. That's cool. So that's cool. Excited. You'll love that. Yeah, it's a beautiful area too. And how long do you get to get away?
2: We're going to be gone for about 10 days. Um, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, perfect. the entire trip was predicated upon getting tickets to go see the Royal Tattoo.
1: And what is the Royal Tattoo?
2: Well, anybody who's ever gone to YouTube and Googled bagpipes
1: oh, has okay. probably
2: seen video of the Royal Tattoo. That's where the dramatic, beautiful bagpipe bands hmm. Uh are playing on what looks like a soccer pitch at the base of a castle. Wow.
1: It's actually, dramatic.
2: It is. It's an annual thing for the queen, of course, because it's the Royal tattoo and her, I guess it's her official band. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm anybody who from Europe who's listening to this. I'm, I have all the terms wrong, but I'm an American. (laughs) I'm a tourist. You can forgive me. Yeah. Official Uh, might not be the word. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Official might be the way, but it's her, it's her, her (laughs) guard. And they Uh do this thing. And in American terms, it's like watching a marching band at a football stadium. That's the scene, except it's a bagpipe Mm -hmm. band. And it's at the base of Edinburgh Castle Mm -hmm. at night. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. And Glenn and I have wanted to do this our entire lives. And uh, for some reason, last year, we finally said, you know, it's not going to get any easier. Let's just go do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You got to do it while you're young, kids. <laughs> you you got to do it while we're young, kids. There we go. <laughs> now, now, be honest here. And this is a totally, uh, you know, I don't know which way you're going to answer this or not. But do you go there? Are you going to see this Royal Tet? Because you, you know, the Edinburgh Castle and the night and the beauty and the splendor and, and just what an opportunity. Or do you really love the music?
2: Both. Oh. <gasps>
1: Wow, I Both. really thought it would be one or the other. <laughs> now,
2: w- way many years ago, Glenn and I attended a uh, bagpipe and Scottish dancing competition, a mm-hmm. Highland Games, mm-hmm. in Fairhill, Maryland. Now, does attend mean participated or attend as spectators? Okay, just and, didn't want to picture that. Yeah, and it was held at the Fairhill Race Course in Fairhill, Maryland, mm-hmm. which is a turf mm-hmm. course okay. out in the beautiful countryside in Maryland. Mm. and part of the competition the bands all get together and there's an official name for it which i'm not remembering i think they call it the mass now that i'm thinking about it but all of the bands and there were probably between 2 and 300 bagpipe players and wow and drummers and they start if you can imagine a race course with a long um the long stretch that comes in front of the grandstands mm. they started about a mile and a half 2 miles away and they come up over the hill all playing at the same time marching, which wow. you can imagine the sound. And yeah. that we were smitten. And ever since then, we've both loved going and watching bagpipe bands and bagpipe pipe comp- competitions and things like that. And for for us, at least, this is kind of the ultimate in that. Yeah. yeah.
1: This, is, this is your mecca. So and how many years ago was that?
2: 25. Oh, guys, it's time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you, you have been patient. It's time. <laughs>
2: We've been patient. And then uh, we're going to, we're going to go, of course, try to sneak in some little horse things here and there. Good, yeah.
1: good, good. Well, we can't wait to hear about it when you get back. Yay. It sounds really it so fun. Exciting. Yeah, that pond trip. Yeah. And you don't have to go in the Mayflower. See, you know, they have airplanes for these things now. <laughs> get, it's great. Get,
2: getting on an airplane, <laughs> going for a long flight. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's great. You guys have fun. You have fun. Well, before you go, I'm so glad you still have your brain in today because we we do have some fun guests coming up. And you know I know we usually do two segments of interviews here, but we we managed to stuff several in the second interview. So you really get a treat today because you get voices from around the world and and they're all horse lovers and they all have different goals to go back into the world. And I think you're going to be proud of them.
2: I love it when you do these roundtables with the students mm-hmm. and participants at the Flag is Up Farms, uh, the various educational opportunities there, because the horse community is so very segmented and very different in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. But when we when you guys have these global conversations with the students and participants, they have so much in common. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. so blatant. And so it's like, hello, we're all working towards the same goal here. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the group has so much fun getting to know each other that way, too. I think they have that same uh, revelation, too, uh, that you just had is like, oh, gosh, they all do think alike. And it doesn't matter if it's polo in India, or if it's a, you know, a German girl going up through the ranks in dressage, they, they come because there's a common belief and, and goal. Yeah. That they have to go take back out into the world, and, and I and I have to say most are very young, uh, meaning under thirty, uh, but not always. You know, under forty is more and more common, and that means that there's a lot of a lot of growth and a lot of opportunity into the future of the horse world right now too. And that's that is to me that's what gives me the chills when I when I'm able to sit in the circle with this group so I can't wait for you. I can't wait to share them
2: with you yeah Yeah, it does it doesn't matter if you wear cowboy boots field boots or no boots at all as in the case of some riders in Mongolia all working towards the same goal (laughs) so our first guest today Heather Wallace uh, is going to tell us a little bit about her Mongolian adventures and we're going to hear about those right after this from Omega Fields. Hi,
3: Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure-glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, low sugar and starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Proventum Probiotic soft treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy life isn't just their slogan, it's their purpose.
1: Heather Wallace is a writer and photographer for the award-winning blog, The Timid Writer, which focuses on the struggling confidence of a returning adult equestrian. She's the best-selling author of Confessions of a Timid Writer, which detail her insights about being an anxiety-ridden but passionate equestrian. And Girl Forward is the tale of one woman's unlikely adventure in Mongolia. In her spare time, of which she has very little, she spends her time with her husband, three children, two dogs, and a pony. You can follow her on social media at timidrider or timidrider.com. Well, welcome, Heather Wallace. I'm so excited to talk to you about Girl Forward and all the things that you're doing. How are you?
3: I'm good, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me on Horsemanship Radio.
1: Hey, it's a first. I'm remiss. I'm glad to have you on finally. Yeah, you're you're an extraordinary blogger. I love that you have horses of your own. So you're not just yakking about them and and a photographer and all the creative side. Are you more of a visual person? You must be.
3: I'm I'm a very visual person and I learn better while watching others and then kind of taking that into myself and, and trying to replicate it. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you you do that very well. Not not just the copying other people, but I think the amazing photographs and and words that you put and the pictures that you put in our heads are really fun. I had fun reading Girl Forward, and uh, you know I do want to jump into that. But I think this this is fascinating. Um, this journey that you took, this adventure that you took to Mongolia, and I thought we could just get right into that because I think when I first heard Gobi Desert. Cup, I thought Mongolian Derby, and it's really different. I mean, this one is co-founded by different people. It's been around since what 2017. It's pretty new.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think the Mongol Derby has such a, a longstanding reputation. I think we uh, the Gobi Desert Cup often gets confused, but it's a very different event. So it's 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 very cool. It's, it actually it was started by. Uh, in 2016, because one of the writers of the Mongol Derby was like, you know what? She she started talking to one of the veterinarians there, and they were like, we can do something mm. more endurance related. And they formed the Gobi Desert Cup together after meeting in Mongolia at the Mongol Derby. And mm. so they took everything they loved about the Mongol Derby and a whole bunch of stuff they really wanted to improve and to uh, showcase about Mongolia. And so they put the Gobi Desert Cup together. And the first race is in 2017.
1: Got you. Yeah, I didn't know the history of it. But uh, so it's Nara Adia. Is that right? The veterinarian? Okay, he's the veterinarian that was based in Mongolia. And then you've got an FEI three-star endurance rider, Camille Champagne from Australia, right?
3: Yes, she's (laughs) French-Australian. She's based in Australia. And um, she she is an FEI three-star rider. And... When she completed the Mongol Derby, she was just her, her journey through Mongolia totally touched her heart and she was so inspired and they ended up actually, Nara went to her and he asked her about, uh, putting something together, something different. And so it's 480 kilometers, which is about 300 miles over six days. And it's, it's a, it's a proper endurance race.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, sure so, is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from, from some of the descriptions, you endured a lot. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I wasn't even riding. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, in a, in a Russian truck or you were. But 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 I love that, that there was a different take on this. It's, um, it's actually a huge economic and social impact to the local people. Do you want to describe that a little bit?
3: Yeah, well, that's the goal. I mean, the whole goal of the event is, to support the local nomads and their their dwindling lifestyle. They've been living in the countryside, uh, in the nomadic culture since, you know, by the time of Genghis Khan. And unfortunately, a lot of them are having to move to the cities just in order to pay for schooling uh, because of desertification in the Gobi Desert. So the whole role of the Gobi Desert Cup is to support the Mongolian Horse and Nomad Foundation, which employs about 50 mongol nomads and yeah. supports them and their livestock and their families through, through this race so it's through really amazing because it's it's not just a race it's a, it's a cultural experience and it's something that gives back immediately
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and like 130 horses affected something like that i read somewhere
3: yes last year the 130 horses that were trained conditioned and fed for the race so they got extra Feed extra conditioning, th- something that they normally wouldn't have, extra training as well. So they can be a little bit more well-versed for our Western riders because mm-hmm. not everybody wants to get on a wild Mongolian horse and just take off into the distance. We didn't really think that that was best for the horses or for the people involved. So. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. wanted to make sure it was quite safe. And so uh, they go into training for months before and after. So it's not just for the two weeks of the event that these people are employed. They're employed for, for several months before, and it's it's quite amazing. It's the same people every year, and the same horses, even.
1: It's such an interesting breed, too. Uh, things that I didn't know so much about, how they handled the breed that um, that mostly... Tell us the difference between feral and wild when it comes to the Mongolians.
3: Oh, that's a great question. I actually just did an article for Holistic Horse on that very <laughs> thing. So... Basically, wild is is a horse that's never been trained, touched, uh, that lives completely free of human interference. Where uh, the Mongolian horses are largely referred to as semi-feral because while they live outside, they live unfenced. They are gentled to uh, to work, and they're usually broken around one or two years old. Only the only the males are ridden; mm-hmm. the mares are kept separate and special. And uh but they're they're handled from a young age. And so the Mongolians will handle them in a way that still keeps them relatively sterile. They don't have a lot of grooming, they only tack up on the left side. So they have the least amount of handling possible, but you would never believe it because you see these children mount these horses and just they're they're incredibly quiet and and kind. And they but they do tell you if if you do something wrong. So <laughs> This is something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, warning. I love the line that you had in the book about uh, you know just give me a horse that a child can ride, and you go like, oh, that's right, all the riders are children here. They're the light ones up there, but but interesting, (laughs) right? But with export being illegal, it's interesting that they might be the last ancient horse remaining on the planet. And I thought about that. I thought, well, that's true. Icelandics can come off Iceland. You can't go back onto Iceland, so it's a pure breed. But I've never, I don't know another breed that's uh, illegal to export.
3: Potentially, I think the Morwari horse in India is, uh-huh. is another example of that. And the Brzozowski horse, of course, uh-huh. which is yeah. still highly endangered in Mongolia. You might that's only true. see a couple in the nature, in the natural preserves. But yeah, the Mongolian horse is, is, is very unique. And it is considered pretty much the most ancient breed still in existence today. Yeah, And and, and completely the, the, unchanged. Yeah. and I mean,
1: it It looks it, too, doesn't it? I mean, just looking at those, looking out on the steps and seeing the Mongolian horse, just gorgeous. But it does feel like you could be, you know, Genghis Khan could come around the mountain anyway, if there wasn't a, a rock.
3: Well, and that's yeah. what makes it such an amazing experience riding them, because you're never going to find another chance to ride a Mongolian horse unless you're in Mongolia.
1: Yeah. And I'm so glad you did. So one thing too about them was that the nomads have specific roles for the animals. You alluded to the fact that the only boys are ridden and the mares are revered and remain unridden. What, what's that? Is that some sort of mother issue or what's going on with that?
3: Well, so actually Buddhism is the primary religion in Mongolia, but there is, especially in the countryside, a very big shamanistic role so i do think that it does have a lot to do with the mothers being revered they're the breeders they're the yeah. ones that hold the line and mm-hmm. they do formulate this drink called ARAG, which mm-hmm. is a fermented mare's milk and it's it's part of most of their ceremonies and and so the mares are kept separate and uh, and and honored mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. yeah, and that's true. And they probably don't want to lose that erreg. So, um <laughs> might be the only thing to, No, they don't. <laughs> to, to celebrate with on Saturday night, but uh, and and the stallions are the pride of the herd and used for horse racing, which is interesting too. I so exclusively is are there no geldings in the horse racing?
3: Generally it's stallions. For an event like the Gobi Desert Cup, we actually do use geldings. So the nice thing is that they, horses that are not being used are having a job. So they're getting income where they normally would potentially not be getting income. But the, the stallions, it's really cool because they keep their, you can always tell a stallion, they keep their forelocks and manes very long. They don't cut them like they, they do a gelding. Geldings are always cropped, okay. manes and forelocks. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So, and you literally turn them loose or hobble them at night during this, this, uh, the desert cub? Yes. So during the day
3: they're on a traditional horse line and at night, you know, as the sun's setting, the nomads let them go. And if you have a runner, you know, one that really likes to wander pretty far, uh, mm. they might hobble them to another horse or hobble them. Or sometimes they even tie two halters together. So the two horses are grazing together side by side, but. For the most part, they'll wander at night and will even go up to about ten kilometers, which is what, about seven miles or so. Mm-hmm. And so each morning before dawn, the herders will you can when you come out of your gur or your tent, you can see them ponying three, four, five horses from who knows where they'd wander to in the evening. And it's really quite amazing to and then they just come back and they they work and it's 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 really cool.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It just is so close to nature there. So tell us about your experience. So now here is, here is use who is mostly a Jersey girl and, uh, in in, India, in Mongolia and saying that your favorite piece of equipment, even though you had, oh gosh, how many pounds of cameras and batteries and everything did you have to take?
3: I had, I had quite a lot. I probably had about over $10,000 worth of equipment on me
1: Dollars is more some of it, effective.
3: Some, some of it definitely got confiscated. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs>
1: ouch. Yeah, that's that'll slow your trip down a little bit, though. Yeah. But but I but love I was that a, you.
3: I was, I was a pack mule. <laughs> you were. <laughs> I guess that
1: was your job, but um, but we we got to see it because of that. We got to live through you because of that. So we're really happy that you were willing to be a pack mule, but I love that your <laughs> multifunction folding knife with the LED light was the thing that became most important to you. Uh, and you kept on you all the time.
3: I really did. I can't tell you, I was so worried that that would be, be uh, not given back because yeah. blended out so often and whether it was to fix a fender or to open a wine bottle or to, you know, use to go to the bathroom. I mean, I tell you that thing was the most popular item I had on me. So I had a lot of friends because nobody else thought to bring one.
1: <laughs> really? No kidding. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know, know that I've that ever weird? seen a folding knife with the LED light. I'm looking for this now. Is there a particular brand I should be looking for?
3: You know, I I found it on Amazon. Oh, so um, yeah, you I, if you just type that in, I think you could, you could come up with a couple. Yeah. Very useful in. though. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I know. I thought a wine opener would be
1: the most useful, but there you go. So, I mean, I just technology. I want to go through your phone and see all these videos that you took. I just pictured this girl, this tent and, uh, no electricity and how they're cooking. I have no idea, but your videos must've been
3: incredible. Oh, yeah, I loved it. I, we, we gave some of our writers, GoPros to use for the race. And I had one on me as well, cause GoPro was kind enough to sponsor us last year. And the um, so that's a lot of fun, and then I had my iPhone, my trusty iPhone was actually more used probably than anything else the entire time I was there. So, for every interview I did, it was so easy because I could just whip it out of my pocket and uh, and, and record the writers, and it wasn't really invasive. Uh, they were used to seeing me around and talking to me, so. You know, and everyone's used to seeing iPhones, so it wasn't as intimidating, I think, for the riders to talk to me or the nomads, because they were so used to seeing that equipment that it wasn't it wasn't yeah. scary.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, as opposed to that, I don't know, foot-long camera that you had. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. On, the, yeah. on the cover of your exactly. book, by the way, so people can see that. But I, I, I like this part, too, that you talked about, just briefly, about the, at base camp that you had the pleasure of watching herders demonstrate their horsemanship skills. And that they were very extremely calm. And, um, and and there was just some unique aspects of that I'd love for you to talk about.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I'm no horsemanship expert, Debbie, you know, I mean, uh, but it was really, really cool for me to see how how their traditions haven't really changed at all. And we did have a couple of people who were really into horsemanship there. So it was nice to see, but basically what they would do is they, they build a portable round pen just temporarily out of sticks mm-hmm. and they would, they would call the horse that they wanted using this amazingly, it must've been 15 feet long pole, which I don't know the name in Mongolian with a lasso around it. And they would call the horse they wanted to work with. And then it was all done. Bridalist, saddleless, they would yeah. get this ho- horse on its knees, usually taking about three men, and then one of the herders would get on that horse, tell everybody to let go, because they really believe in connecting with that horse immediately. And off they would go, galloping into the distance until the horse and rider became connected and won. And then he'd come back, and that was the beginning. I mean, that was the first no bridle, no saddle, nothing, just. Off into the distance and coming back united. Mm-hmm. It was, it it was really, really, just amazing. It was so different than what we do now, but um, you know, and it took a little, a little. I, I, I was, it's just so different, and yeah. it was really, really cool.
4: Yeah. I can't
3: explain. Well, I, you, all you, did, you did
1: explain in the book. I thought it was really, yeah. I mean, you talked about confidence and connection and, and that you could tell if there was a little bit of a lack of confidence that that would bring out the, the fear really in a horse. You know, that prey behavior says, wow, yeah. if something's wrong with you, something must be wrong with me now. So um, I love that you said that the nomads just made it look effortless as if it was natural. Isn't it? it is natural.
3: It, they were basically like centaurs. I mean, you could tell these people had grown up on horses. they had they it was in it it was almost a jubilation, you know, a feeling of just complete part of their breathing and happiness that they exuded when they rode these horses. and um, you could tell when they would give you a special horse, like the riders would get horses chosen for them based on their, you know the the different horses and. And whether they were heavyweight riders or they were a little bit more timid or, or, you know, in the in the general population. And the nomads would tell the people a little bit about their horses. And, you know, there is a language difference, but some things are just universal. And through a couple of words or charades, they had this conversation. And it was amazing to see these two cultures united just by the love of these horses.
2: And
1: it
3: was really inspiring.
1: Yeah, I bet. Tell us about you and Spanky.
3: I love Spanky. <laughs> I not so secretly hope that he's gifted to me uh, yeah. this year and I get there to ride him again. But yeah, so it, I really did get a little bit jealous watching the riders. And, you know, I'm a timid rider, I'm very careful. So going into this, I assumed these Mongolian horses would be completely wild. Mm-hmm. And I was very pleasantly surprised and I got to see how much fun everyone was having. So at the end, when we were discussing having an officials race, I was all in. And when I did go up to one of uh, one of our herders and ask him to give me a very, uh, you know, very kind horse, that one that they would give their children to. And, he right. started laughing, and I realized what you had said. I'd realized that, oh, my gosh, the children are, are the race or the jockeys. Yeah. But I got on him and and I immediately started panicking like he did nothing. He did nothing. He he was a perfect angel. It was me just kind of trying to find my calm and my connection. And and once we started moving, it just clicked. It just clicked. And I found that when we turned around to start the race and Camille Champagne, who hadn't been on a horse since she'd had her baby, since before she got pregnant. Now, she was only three weeks from having a baby by that point. She's like, oh, that's okay. We'll start very slow. We'll just trot first and we'll end up galloping. Well, my horse took stuff into this beautiful, nice lope. I'm like, this is great. I'll I'll stick with this lope all day long. And then Camille was like, oh, it's on. And she just <laughs> takes off that full gallop. So next thing I know, I'm galloping across the Gobi Desert and thinking, okay, just hold on, just breathe, breathe. And he was so he was so good, though, because when I just breathed and I relaxed, I found that when I got tired, he slowed and I just took some deep breaths. And so I really, I can't say I did anything with my... With my, my legs, my hands, it was just my body and kind of how I felt. And he responded. And I tell you, I fell in love with that pony. <laughs> that horse, uh-huh. sorry. I wanna, yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're little. He was they're small, little. but horse, yeah. yeah. But he's good looking. Um, he
1: was really good looking. There's a nice photo of you, you two in the book that thank I thought. Yeah. Oh, hi.
3: My, yeah. my assistant photographer kept trying to sneak photos of me.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. I hadn't thought about that. That's
3: true. Um,
1: I, I yeah. love how you tell tell stories around the, the base camp, too. You have a base camp, I guess. And, uh, and that's the story of the day. Um, and I love how you said, this wasn't Lord of the Flies or Survival of the Fittest. It was utopia.
3: You know, it's so hard when you're going into something like this. You know, especially for me. I'd never been... I'd never been camping. I'd never been out in the middle of nowhere with strangers and it could have gone really, really wrong, but it <laughs> didn't somehow, somehow it really, my instincts were correct and it really came together. And you know, of course there were some people that just didn't get along or didn't, but we were all kind of brought together. And, and, and so it was nice to see that it wasn't, everyone was supporting everybody. There was no talking behind other people's backs. There was, you know, everyone united from different disciplines, different parts of the world, and it was just something that really reminded me of what it should be like in the world. Yeah. And yeah. It was slow down. Blessing.
1: Yeah. That is, that is a blessing. And and thank you for sharing it. Thank you for going out there and sharing it. I think what's fun about the book too, is I think you're very relatable. I think all of us see parts of us in you and, in you're experiencing it. So you kind of feel like you're part of it. I mean, we we feel like, um, you know, we all kind of smell like the barn a little bit and, you know, have hay stuck out of our pockets and stuff when we go home. And, you know, all of that is you in the, the kind of U.S.-based look or mostly global look. But um, but going there, all of those inhibitions, just that just didn't matter. Just all those different things fell away and that you were just able to live in the moment.
3: Well, that is the, probably the best compliment you could give me because, you know, when I write I write from my own experience, but I write to share my story in the hopes that other people will 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 be entertained and also maybe learn and, and maybe try to do something themselves that maybe they didn't think they could n- normally do. So to say that is is really, thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, no, well, thank you for writing the book and sharing all of that. And, you know, people can find it. I mean, you've you've got what was it under the distinction of a hot new release on Amazon? It's a bestseller in three categories. You won an award for the Equus Film Festival, which is big. And so people will want to pick up some of the other stuff that you've read and they should read your, your blog. The book Confessions of a Timid Writer came from the blog, The Timid Writer, right?
3: That's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Confessions of a Timid Writer was really the first book that it was very difficult for me to, to share it was very easy to write. It was very difficult for me to share. It was probably the most personal thing I've ever written. And it, it came from my blog, The Timid Writer, which, you know, is all about confidence and and returning to writing as an adult in my experience. And so, but it really gave me, it it almost gave me a, a paved the way for me to go and do this and go to Mongolia because I realized that I'd always wanted to write a book and I was always scared to do it and doing it I was like well, what else can be scarier than this? <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's such a personal thing, right? So yeah, and I'm lucky. Yeah. I, I have to I have to be honest and say I am lucky that my husband was willing to 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 take on my you know our three children for for two and a half weeks so I could go off to a place that you know is in the middle of of, of nowhere really and mm-hmm. with. With not a lot of electricity or self service, and yeah. I can honestly say I wouldn't have been able to do it unless I knew he, they were all well taken care of at home, uh, <laughs> supporting sure. me.
1: Yeah, that's true. Oh, come on, you didn't think about him a minute, did you?
3: I did. I do. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I did. I had a funny. I have a funny. My oldest, who was who was nine at the time, she made me. I I couldn't talk to them for three days, and I finally got a signal. So I called them, and she gets on the phone. She goes, "Put put on your assistant." And you talk to your assistant I'm like, uh, OK, you know, I maybe only had two minutes. And uh, so I put her on the phone with Dr. Julie Kemp, who was my assistant photographer. And uh, she's also a veterinarian and she's from Australia. And my daughter just gets on the phone and she goes, tell me the truth. Is my mom OK? Oh, she, she didn't believe I could camp. She didn't believe I had it in me. <laughs> Well, I think it's pretty amazing
1: that you never camp. That means you've never, like, you know, found a hole somewhere, pulled up a rock or pulled up a bush and, and, you know, all those things that we take for granted that you've got to do before you go to Mongolia,
3: right? (laughs) Right. Well, I tell you, the biggest problem I had, it wasn't going to the bathroom. It was figuring out that darn camp shower. I could not figure it out. So the good news is I brought some baby wipes with me and I used that a lot. Perfect.
1: (laughs) Perfect. I love camping up in the, you know, the mountaintops and we go with girlfriends and I tell you every year we're like, okay, what kind of wipes did you find this year? Lavender or what? (laughs) It's it's the biggest thing we, we, uh, you know, worry about is are we going to get really good wipes this year? So yeah, good for you. Well,
3: I'll give you a hint. If you can find eucalyptus, they also will repel insects. So that oh, for you.
1: no mosquito bites on the bum. That's a great idea.
3: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's my gift to you, Debbie. <laughs> Thank you. You're so sweet. You really are. You really are.
1: Heather Wallace, it was really fun to have you on Horsemanship Radio. I hope you'll come back again. You don't even have to go to Mongolia again to come back on. There's lots of good stuff you've got going on in your life I love to hear about. And people should go find the Gobi Desert Cup on YouTube and watch all the craziness out there and any place else. Do you have any other websites or tell us your Facebook page and how to find you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. My Facebook page is uh, at Timid Rider. It's T-I-M-I-D-R-I-D-E-R. And the Gobi Desert Cup actually has a Facebook page. I believe it's the Gobi Desert Cup. So okay. if not, it's, it's at Gobi Desert Cup on Facebook. And that's where everyone could follow along at this year's event because I do post updates and interviews as we go through Mongolia.
1: Great. Okay. So and you'll I- go back. It sounds like you might go back even in a new status.
3: Yes, that's right. Well, so, so this year we're actually filming a documentary. So I'm going to be a producer on that. And I do have it in my head that I think I need to ride this thing myself and really challenge myself because I can't let all the writers have all the fun, can I? That's
1: right. We're cheering you on as, as timid writers and as, as U.S.-based, you know, non-campers, we're cheering you on.
3: Thank you, Debbie. I so appreciate you having me on and, and talking to me a little bit about my trip
1: and my book. Yes, in your book. Go, go forward. Caballo Horse and Rider, Carol and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio. And we thought, you know what? Better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots. So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hoof protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit him perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground, and so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding, including trails, gaming, and drill, and I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put truly those boots to test. I believe that in horsemanship you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you and for me that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the cavallo boots. Brenna. The advanced course students at the Monte Roberts International Learning Center have earned their way to the advanced course of horsemanship at the center. The course offers students the opportunity to extend their knowledge to training both unstarted and untouched horses. And it's the next step on the pathway toward becoming a certified instructor in the Monte Roberts Concepts. I was able to sit down with them recently to hear what brought them to Solvang in California, but from all over the world. Well, welcome. I've got Denise Heinlein here and a class full of advanced course students, which is always really fun to come to Solvang and see you know, people from all over the world. It always seems to be pretty international, this class. Plus, it's fun to see the advanced levels that are happening around the world, uh, people who are dedicated to, te- to teaching other people to be better with their horses. So we're all excited. I've got Denise Heinlein to say hello.
5: Hello, Debbie. How
1: are you? How is this class going?
5: It's fun. Like, as you said already, we have a lot of horses in with very interesting uh, characters. And uh, we are partnering up at the moment with Oakdale Rescue and All About Equine Rescue. Great. So we took some horses in from them to uh, work and try to get them uh, to the <coughs> position where they will be a uh, better adoptable. So, you know, throughout our three weeks, we are training them to accept the first saddle, long lining, we wash them, we try to pick up their feet and get them ready for the farrier. So everything what they would need in their future life, we we go through here in that three weeks with all the students from around the world.
1: So these are not well-trained horses. Tell me what their baseline is. Do they come in pretty much untouched?
5: We have some untouched horses. Yes, we have three Mustangs which never had a halter on or they don't have any experience with people, which is super interesting. So Toby and Martina, they are two Mustangs which are showing us a lot of, or teaching actually the students a lot of horse behavior, so which is quite interesting. And then we have all the starters here who came in already a halter um leadable and uh, we could approach them, but they were quite shy. So they are all second generation Mustangs, which used to come from the Dreamcatcher sanctuary. So they have had, like in their past, they've been living a untouched life. So we haven't gentled them, but they came down here, you know, just a um, little hands-on experience. A little hands-on experience. So they They were loaded on a
1: trailer. There's a lot of probably negative experience with handling and some of these rescues too, right? I mean, it's not like they're they that unskeptical of people.
5: Well, you never know, especially with the Mustangs, you know, since they are going through the branding and like to go through all of those shoots uh, in the – In the past, handling—I mean, Mm -hmm. you never know what they go Mm -hmm. through in these situations. I know that up at all about Equine and Octa Rescue, they take really good care about their horses. So everything what uh, has been uh, happened to the horses. When they came to the rescue, we don't know. You know, some of the horses, they do seem to have a few issues, but you never know what kind of cause that, you know, where Mm -hmm. did they get scared in in their way to us. Could have been an injury, could Could, have been a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you never know. And since it is so that they are, some horses also, you know, when they've lived their life, and all of these horses we have in right now, they're older. So when they live their life as a free roaming horse and then suddenly we are coming Mm -hmm. and uh, we ask them to accept. Our guidance, you know, they're like, "Hey, wait a minute! I've been really well off there by myself." <laughs> so sometimes it's just that yeah. as well, you know, to to convince them yeah. step by step that we mean well. And all of them uh, love us so far that we can go in, brush them, and pick up the feed. And they're friendly now with uh, all of the students, and uh, they all have a project horse throughout the three weeks. So. Everybody probably is ready to take them home if they could. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's an ocean in between for most of us. That's why they hopefully find a home here in America. Mm. And so they yeah, are adoptable. They are adoptable. Okay. Yes.
1: And, uh, and All About Equine and Oakdale can give information about that. Mm-hmm. We can put those in the show
5: notes. If yes, you find that. some, uh, of their images on our Facebook page as well. So if you want to come and have a look at Monty Roberts International Learning Center on Facebook, there are some nice photos of the horses, but then you visit the website of the rescue centers. They're going to have all the information up there too.
1: Okay. Well, you've got an intern with you who has been through this process before, has been sitting in the seats that your students are sitting in right now. Do you like to introduce Hello. yourself,
0: <coughs> Hello, Debbie. This is Manjeev And... Uh, I am an intern here working on the horses. It was a bridge between the student and instructor, so I'm going through that procedure, going from one phase to another phase, and it's quite interesting to know what happens in which side of the corridor.
1: Tell us a few of the names of the horses that they've been working with this week. You all have
0: been. Uh, yes, we have a very interesting uh, teachers with us, as we say. They're not horses for yeah. us because they're Professors. teaching us all the time. Yes. yeah. So we got starters, starts from Uno. He's a very beautiful looking quarter horse. Then we have Tegan, which is Mustang. Mm. Tay is again a Mustang. Like most of them are Mustang. It's only, I think, probably one we have as a quarter horse. Mm. And then we have Gypsy, Fancy. They are very beautiful looking. And now a very good character because we've been working on them. and, And as you say, like all the students are working with them. And they shape them very well. We understand very well. I think they are looking for the good home.
1: Yeah, Good, good. Okay, so people can go look. If you can understand Majiv as well as I just did sitting next to him, then uh, you can go to those um, rescues and maybe definitely, ask about those. Definitely. The, they'll carry those names over mm-hmm. to the rescues?
5: Yeah, we, we took the names on. So they are, uh, that's their names. That was their names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very
1: good, very good. Okay, I will share, I will pass this around. And if you'll introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got into horses. And then, um, we'll go another round with another question.
6: (laughs) So I'm Thibaut. I'm uh, from France. I really got into horses and into education of horses when I was about uh, 20. I was working in Greece as a wrangler. Greece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And till the point I, I had the opportunity to, to, well, not break, but start a horse because I didn't really like how they did it there. And so I couldn't, it couldn't be worse if I did it. So I, I asked if I could do it. And, uh, um, I realized that I had a lot to learn. <laughs> so then, when I went back to France, I uh, I met uh, one of the instructors in a, on, in a fair, and I talked to him a little bit, and I I um, had a chance to work for him. Uh, uh, so that's how I I, um, I took the introductory exam with him, and I want to go further now. So here I am.
1: <laughs> what, what was the instructor's name? Who is
6: it? Adrien Mabi.
1: Perfect. Good. He's, I think, maybe the only... No, he's one of two French-speaking yeah. instructors. So we need not only more French instructors, we need more boys. So it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> that, you're, yeah, <laughs> that you're here, a part of this, and I hope you hang in there with us, too. Good. What are your plans going into the future?
6: That's a bit blurry. I, I want to keep uh, traveling a lot to discover how they do other places. And then in a few years, I'm, I might want to sell. I don't. I don't really know yet. I, I have so much to learn still... Mm. If I can, like, my my plan right now is to become an instructor, so I have to get a lot of more experience to to be able to become. Do you mind if
1: I ask how old you are? I'm 26. Perfect. That's awesome. You've got your whole life ahead of you to do these <laughs> things too, and you're learning from great professors. That's great. And that's the horses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. And please introduce yourself.
7: Um, my name is Luanne. I'm from Germany. Mm-hmm. I got into horses. Like I think it's a very average story. I was a little girl. I fell in love with horses okay. and I, when I was 12 years old, I managed to convince, convince my parents to get me a little pony. She was very lovely or she is very lovely. I still have her. Oh good. Um then I went on a break with the horses and the horseback riding. And now I'm back and I want to do it professionally.
1: Great. Professionally <laughs> and is that does that mean showing competitions? What? No.
7: Like training. Training, training the horses with there, the Monty good. Roberts Concepts.
1: Excellent. And what, what's the disciplines that you think you'll get through your barn?
7: I'm, I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. First of all, I want to continue to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming from the Western riding area, oh, but I think um, we have to be open about the discipline. And I want to learn about dressage riding as well. Mm-hmm. And then when I've learned enough, I will make my decision where I really want to make a gen- change.
1: Fantastic! What part of Germany are you from?
7: From the very south, very near Stuttgart. South. Beautiful
1: area. It is yeah. very nice. Yes. And so you do some western riding. Have you been able to ride here? Were you out here in the west?
7: Um We actually went horseback riding two times in near Santa Barbara. It was the Circle Barn. Circle B Bar went, B? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We went for a one-and-a-half-hour ride, and then they invited us back for a four-hour ride, and it was very yes. beautiful. The landscape is so stunning. The
1: flowers are beautiful. Yes. We finally got
7: some rain here in California. <laughs>
1: Good. I'm glad you got the opportunity to do that, too. Are our saddles pretty much like the saddles that you're using in Germany, too, the Western?
7: They are, but my saddle was a bit uncomfortable, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't doubt it, actually. Yeah. They probably don't put a lot of money in their
1: saddles. Yeah, probably. There. I hope your horse wasn't uncomfortable no, anyway. No, it was fine. <laughs> Good, good yes. good okay Thank
8: you yeah my name is uh, Francisca I'm 25 years old and um, from Germany as well mm-hmm. and yeah I started riding when I was two years old and I got my first horse uh, when I was eight or nine years old and the owner of the horse um, always hit the horses and it was it was horrible and uh, she wanted to teach me to to hit the horse as well so I wanted to find a better way. I didn't want to to hit the horse, and over the last years, I always had some problem horses or horses that have had met some bad experiences yeah. um so I had this one horse and i uh took him to uh the introductory course uh with denise yeah. and uh, it was amazing to see him uh changing his his behavior and was i uh, was yeah amazing and so i decided to um to become an instructor and hope this is possible and i will achieve this yeah you will see do you want to take it back to germany then is that what your your end goal is to train yeah i would love to train those difficult horses Mm -hmm. um because it's it's so beautiful to see them getting better and to to solve the problems and it's yeah it's it's more better than just starting horses i mean it's it's always good uh, to be around horses but it's way better to just change horses that ha- had never the chance to to get um to get a, a good training mm-hmm. or to be um yeah to be honest this mm-hmm. is good yeah yeah in fairness to the
1: horses yeah so this course is right up your alley then working with these horses then it's
8: perfect comp- yeah yeah you can learn a lot and it's uh, yeah it's perfect. Do you see a lot of these um, untouched horses in Europe, where you are? Uh, no, never. Yeah, no, never. never. <laughs> um, I think we have some uh, wild horses in Germany as well, but I never saw any wild horse. Mm-hmm. So uh, I never touched a untouched horse. Uh, this is the first time here. Uh, it's a great feeling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and were you prepared for it, or did it still sort of... Give you hair on the
1: back of the neck, you know, goes up and ch- chills, and a little bit, yeah, yeah a little It's bit. a
8: great moment. It's um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you will never forget this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay.
9: Hi, I'm Mary. I'm French, mm-hmm. but I live in Argentina, and my background with horses started like the the one of the girls. <laughs> (laughs) With a a love story around six years old and, and all. And then it really became like a life goal for me when I arrived in Argentina four years ago and I saw things that were managed there. I mean, I was working as a wrangler and the horse was more a, a a mean of, of, I mean, it was for go from point A to point B with the cows, with the, of all the animals. In the ranch, but then came the time that we have to, they they have to break the new horses, Mm -hmm. which actually sometimes are nine or 10 years old and never saw Mm. a man before because it's Patagonia, Argentina, acres and acres, and they just uh, big, very big territory. And so I saw that and I got like really scared and I was like, there is no way I do that. Like this actually scares me, you know? Mm -hmm. I was more scared than actually, because I was living with those guys and and I respect what they do also. But it was really scary, you know. (laughs) I said there is no way I kill myself to to do that. So you had never seen that tradition of breaking horses like from
1: a pole or? No, no, Mm -hmm.
9: no. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was not really into, I was more into jumping in competition as a as a child. And I never saw a horse uh, started by anyone. And so my first confrontation was like this. And I was like, okay, no, there must be another way. There is no way to, okay. there's just this one. So I did my research and I found Monty on a very bad video on YouTube. Oh, really? But actually the content was so good. So I said, okay, I, I'll go for this and and that's it and the and monty roberts name gave me my chance in this field and actually some credibility because in argentina it's so hard to be a woman and to get uh, attention from the men's that are in the business in in the horses so it gave me the method and the knowledge and the credibility, which is very important. That right? is very
1: important. So one of the concepts I noticed in Brazil, I haven't been to Argentina, but one of the concepts we noticed was that it were mostly men yeah. in the industry down there, in the horse industry, and yeah, the women are not so much uh, allowed, uh, you know, it's, it's looked
9: down upon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's changing a little bit in Argentina. Yeah. I mean, um, around Buenos Aires for yes. example where i'm it's more civilized and we are getting there but me uh, i was working in patagonia which is still a world of men mm-hmm. i mean the first day i <laughs> i started at the ranch the guy told me oh you are the new girl from the kitchen and i was like no. <laughs> i'm just coming to work to work for with you guys and they were just like Okay, in the way a girl actually is going to mm-hmm. to work with us.
1: What I loved about the changes going on in Brazil too, and you can s- confirm if this is happening in Argentina, is that using these concepts, you don't need to be, you know, the size yeah. of Manjiv over here. Yeah, you can actually be. Half that size. Of course. And because you're not taking on the horse, right? You're not wrestling with the horse. You're working with its nature.
9: And this is what I actually uh, surprised them more. Like, I remember also because we work with Denise in Argentina in the farm I am working in. And I was telling them, oh yeah, um, there is this uh, German girl who is coming to show you guys how to do. (laughs) (laughs) And they were all like, what but a woman they have no strength there is no way they can actually break a horse and I was like they're not gonna break it they're just gonna start it yay (laughs) I love that we've been
1: running that campaign hashtag starting not breaking and we're not the only ones we might be the biggest voice out there but we're not the only ones saying this and Mm -hmm. I hope that you'll you know continue to beat that drum down yeah. in Argentina as well. I think
0: it's a huge horse
1: <laughs> industry down there. And it's, you know, polo alone, right? It's mm-hmm. a huge industry down there, yeah. Um, but there is a lot of tradition in the muscle memories of those hands down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my next question is really how do you think you'll change that tradition? There's We're still swimming upstream. I know that dad, you know, sort of didn't really mean to but kind of created a a breakout session in 89 when he was invited to demonstrate these things publicly he had never taken them publicly um and it's been a hard uphill battle right you know it's not the easiest thing to change a 6000 year old tradition i don't, i can't think there are too many of those out there that that kind of tradition what do you do to plan to to defend the concepts if you think they're better
6: i think first of all you have to prove the others that it's better it, it's as efficient or even more efficient, but it's better for the horse than the old ways. And uh, but you have to prove it first. How you do you show them? It? You have yeah. to show them. Demonstrate and it. You, you can't okay. just show off and, you know, do your thing. And oh I'm the best. You have to keep trying, I guess, until it works. And they say, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you might be not wrong. And then maybe they will take a look at you and they might start, uh, consider you. And then the ultimate, um, How I see things once I'm out there and I'm able to on any horse to do whatever I want to make that horse uh, live with other humans in a better way. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be able to teach others how to do it too. If, Mm -hmm. but first we need to be able to people need to trust me before I can do it. Mm -hmm. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: good. Well, we're hoping we're building credibility into the, into the instructors so that you all don't have to work so hard at it, but,
6: but then through teaching. Through teaching. Very good. And
1: yeah.
7: Well, I think on one hand side, it's very important to be successful. So to work with difficult horses Mm -hmm. and show the people that through those methods, you can be successful with those horses. Mm -hmm. Maybe even in, um, in competing actually winning prizes with those methods mm-hmm. taking people by the hand like on instagram or on campaign showing them okay i have this difficult horse and in the end i'm very successful with this horse mm-hmm. and on the other hand side i believe it's very important to focus on the youth youth is it the right yes. word yes. youth
5: mm-hmm. youth sorry mm-hmm.
7: Because the kids, they grow up in those barns, in the stables, and they learn, they look at the adults, and they learn from them the behavior, yep. and they think that's the right way. And then um, after a while, they just behave in the same way. And it takes a lot for those kids, when they grow up, to change their behavior, to change their muscle memory. But when we actually start there, when we start when they are young, we can kind of push them in the right way, kind of teach them how to behave around horses, that the horses are fine.
1: I think the youth actually want that, don't you? Do you remember back when you were little, thinking when your instructor was telling you hit them, hit them harder? Yes. I don't think the youth really wants to do that. That's at least what I found.
7: I most recently met a girl, and she um, grew up and he, she was told to hit her horse yeah. very badly. Mm-hmm. And she teared up that moment. She told me that story mm-hmm. that she had to hit her own horse all these so years badly. later. Yes. Yeah. All these years later. And she wants to change too. Yeah. She wants to learn about the concepts too. And well, I hope we can make a change.
8: Yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad you found her. I always see and um, hear people talking about horses, uh, for example, in competitions. I'm also a dressage rider and I compete my horses. Mm -hmm. And there are many people who just sell their horses when their problems arise. So I think it would be a good way to um, show them when you have a difficult horse, you can train this horse to solve the problem. And you can also go on competitions, do whatever you want. Because the horse also wanted and you you don't have to, to hit or to force your horse to do what you want them to Mm -hmm. do. And I think this, this area, this competition area, maybe to just, yeah, show, as uh, Tibo said, you have to prove yourself Mm -hmm. and, yeah, to, to have a good example. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, to let them
1: to let the others yeah who's
8: a good example do
1: you think out there right now competing at a high level is it like charlotte de jordan or
8: who do you look up to well um in germany for example there's ingrid Klimke. um she's competing on the highest level in dressage jumping and um i think she's really fair um to the horses as we can see well you never see everything but i think she's she's really fair to the horse and um i think it's getting better mm-hmm. um there's a few people who are really um fair and good to their horses and competing in a high uh, on a high level um but it's getting s- just slowly better um mm-hmm. and it has to have to to be improved
1: do you think since most of you have been at this for a while with horses even though you're young you've been with horses for a long time do you think that um trainers are becoming more open about their techniques, even at the high level, because this is sort of, you know, giving away their secrets a little bit, yeah. Mm,
8: yeah. I think one point is uh, also the social media uh, mm-hmm. time now, because, um, when someone, um, I don't know, post a picture of, of a horse uh, ridden with, um, or this is just a bad moment, for example. Mm-hmm. And you show this bad moment. Mm-hmm. There's so, there are so many people who talk bad about it mm-hmm. and i think this is also a reason why people become better and that they want to to just uh,
5: behave fair
8: okay
1: but being fair to the horses is the yeah. important point right yeah yeah it's
5: and so I transparent you know like mm-hmm. and you know, people you cannot i mean once it gets uh, out there you mm-hmm. can't like put mm-hmm. a stuff to it you know? mm-hmm. and therefore you have to be more careful
8: you should be yeah mm-hmm. so the reactions are Yeah, Yeah. heavy when you have, uh, when you you show a bad picture and no one wants this. Yes, yes. You know, I haven't heard a lot
1: about the Roker for a while, but that was, you know, that was one of those things that everybody was trying to pick on, you know, with uh, overzealous sometimes, Mm -hmm. I think, but that you can't really get away with a lot of that anymore with um, the media as it is, not just social media, it's everybody has a camera, everybody, you know, puts it out there, yeah.
8: Yeah, especially in competitions, so everyone can see yeah. how you ride your horse and yeah. um can take a picture and upload it on the mm-hmm. Internet. So,
1: What do you think about the judges? Do you think the judges are as important a part of that component of change?
8: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think they have to change a lot, especially in uh, dressage competitions. There are many people who are talking not kind of bad about the judges. After, for example, someone is riding, and uh, you could saw this one riding outside the arena, and he was not fair to his horse. And then he's competing, and he gets uh, really get a good grade, and this is not really fair at the moment. And I think they have to be more aware of um, of everything what happens around the competitions, and um, they have to to just stand up and and say a word and don't be afraid of the reactions maybe yeah i think it's it's a hard business mm. it's difficult to change uh, everything but maybe in little steps it's possible You yeah. yeah. have to try yeah absolutely that's great well you'll probably be a part of that so
1: I'm yeah glad hopefully to hear it. glad to hear it all right
9: mary yeah i think exactly as they say all we have to be good and i think this course uh, actually helped uh, helped us a lot and we are ready now to get uh, home and work and work and work, so we can be as good as we need to con to convince the other um, people for the challenge of argentina and and South America. I think uh, we need to be a team with the others. I mean Denis started this year uh, there is melanie Suillaga, yes. there is Miguel Lupiano in Brazil. So there are a lot of people there already that want to to make a change there and can because uh, there is uh, knowledge of horses and and people wanting. But you also need to know the place. You know, you need to know the people there. You need to know the right influencer. So through the the ones you want to 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 put your method in and to try to to convince the whole country by them. So, it's nice because Melanie and I we really know the place and and we have Denise as <laughs> the the big knowledge there. So, I mean, it more the time goes on and more we become friends and we, we will be able to to achieve this goal, I think. Yeah.
1: That's very hopeful. Yeah. Thank you all for uh, being a part of this today and being a part of the future. <laughs>
4: whisper the language of the hurt listen you
2: don't have to say a word it's time for jamie jennings to fetch an email from monty robert's inbox and share a morsel of monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call ask monty
4: leave this world a better place in
9: the magic and
4: Dear Monty, since I began to ride over 60 years ago, I have almost constantly been encouraged to carry a whip. In some cases, horses that were always whipped don't tend to respect the rider unless he carries it. I was taught to use it too, and it can be very effective in getting what I want from the horse. I never really liked to use a whip, or crop as we call it, and around age 17, I rode a horse who had been spoiled. Once, and there was no trainers about, I commenced riding using the crop only when the horse refused to obey my signals, otherwise using natural aids only. At the end of the hour, I rode with no further use of the crop, and indeed rarely ever used it or carried it again. For many years now, I always ride every horse without carrying a crop, and almost always have no need to ask for one. I am most definitely of the opinion that any horse trained without punishment will never need punishment. Many riding schools in Britain insist that riders carry a crop. I rode one thoroughbred horse who had been sold cheaply to the riding school because he was dangerous and bucking people off. I didn't carry a crop, and although he bucked initially, he didn't throw me, and after a few rides, he stopped bucking. He was a marvelous ride. The week before I first rode him, I watched him dispatch one of our trainers. When he napped, she hit him, and she landed about 10 feet from where the horse was standing. All I thought was, don't carry a stick on Malone. I do believe that any use of whips, sticks, or crops is unnecessary and counterproductive. I equally firmly believe that if they were not used, they would never be needed. Do you agree? Monty's answer. Thank you for sending me the story of your journey to take violence out of your enjoyment of riding horses. Your honesty is refreshing, and I am glad you shared your inner dialogue about respect for the trainers versus respect for the horses. My belief is that the use of pain is always counterproductive and never productive. One can disagree with that notion, but that is where I stand. And as the world turns, you are seeing more and more success coming from trainers who produce less and less pain in the training process process
1: for more of these insights into good horsemanship go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says get free horse tips
0: hi i'm monty roberts and i'm dedicated to training horses without pain you can learn to do it too on my equus online university western english the beginner or the advanced rider it doesn't matter you can connect with other students online too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at montyroberts.com.
7: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here?
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in September, starting on the 28th at the Monty Roberts Tour at Scottish National Equestrian Centre in Oatridge. And then he travels down to Hadlow on October 12th. He'll be at the Hadlow College. And then October 18th, he'll uh, continue his tour at Hartbury College in Hartbury. And then October 20th, he'll be at Myers Co. College in Billsborough.
2: And if you were not able to commit all of that to memory because you were busy driving your car, cleaning your stall, or washing dishes, you can find all of that and a whole lot more at MontyRoberts.com. Now, if somebody wants to go over to MontyRoberts.com and look at the calendar, but they are also going, you know, I really need to check out the university and look at those videos. Can they get to Monty Roberts University from MontyRoberts.com?
1: You know what? We have this beautiful new website and it's very simple. Yes, I think that's exactly right. We have just a very few tabs at the top. Thanks for asking for that because uh, there's about three things that are most often clicked on on our uh, com, and uh, about is one of them because I guess people get this like Monty Roberts, uh, well, who is that guy? And, you know, about it seems to land and everybody else says, I just want to go see him. Where? Where's the calendar? Yes, yeah, <laughs> <So> exactly. The, <laughs> the calendar is right there, too. And then, yes, there is a online university tab. And that's what you'd be looking for to say, like, okay, what does he teach? And that's what that's our real proud making product that we think is, you know, the best it set out really just because I wanted to quantify all the work my dad did, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I think there were things that he did in his muscles that he didn't even know he did when he was training a horse. He just gets into the zone, you know, you know how masters do, Mm -hmm. they, they move the right way, they time it the right way. And that's what they've done their whole life. That's why they're masters. Uh, But they don't think about it they, you know, they're strategizing for the horse, but they don't think about their muscle memory. And how do we learn? We want that muscle memory. We want that timing. So we began to film. And fortunately, he's, he's fairly eloquent too, about explaining what he's doing with the horse. So we get both sides of that equation. We see when he reaches his hand in or when he doesn't or how slowly he does. But we also get to hear, um, what I think is like an inner dialogue with the horse. A lot of times, I love it when he says, "But Mister Roberts, I'm really nervous about you bringing that plastic bag up to me." You know, and yes, he, he has dial, yes. dialogue <laughs> in some of these with the horses, and it's good because it's almost like film we, noir. You know, the horses talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. it is because you know then then you start to notice thing like the that left ear going toward that that trainer that's working on on the, you know the the side that we most often work with which is the left and you you begin to notice the eye and you begin to notice the muscles and and all of those are indicators from the horse to us so it, it's It's a visual medium, you know, training horses really is. It's really hard to do it by the book. Some people are great, but, you know, I think video really tells the story, don't you?
2: Yeah, it, it's so very useful having gone in there and watched lots and lots of videos. And once you get on over there, over to the university, you can search. If you have a particular topic that you're mm-hmm. curious about or want help with, you can search over there. And there's how many videos up there now? You always know this right off the top of your head. Oh, my gosh. Five, about 5 to 75 right now. Let's round it up. There you go. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. like I said, montyroberts.com. You can also call the kind folks at Flag Is Up Farms, 805 688 6288. And If you happen to be in California visiting, Flags Up Farms is open to the public. You can go there and visit and see the beautiful facility. Thank you. Yes, it is. So you can just give them a holler. And for Mm -hmm. details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you'll find links, photos, and more information about today's guests. And we love your feedback. It helps us stay on track, make the show better, find interesting topics and guests. You can follow Monty on Facebook by typing in the top, search Monty Roberts. Go over there and like and follow the one with the little blue check marks. It's the official one. Monty Roberts is also on Twitter. For those of you who like to live your life in short bursts, it's Monty underscore Roberts. And the same on Instagram.
1: Beautiful Instagram, Monty underscore Roberts. Yeah, I love that one.
2: Get the app for your iPhone or your Android. Don't miss any episodes. And for the less tech savvy folks in your life, gently take the phone from them, download the app, and then show them how to use it. They'll thank you later. Maybe they'll buy you a pint.
1: Hey, there you go. You really are on vacation, Brain. I am. That's great.
2: <laughs> many thanks to our
1: sponsors, too, who make this all happen for us. That's Omega Fields, and that's Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, like I do, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, get out there and have many happy horse hours.